0: Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, 11 weeks later, uh, we are wrapping up our series on Hebrews, finishing up with chapter eight today. And for those of you that are trying to figure out like that like non-awkward way to say, hey, Pastor Doug, there's more than eight chapters in the book of Hebrews. Gotcha, understood. We'll probably jump right back in next summer. But here's my hope. If you've been traveling with us for any number of weeks this summer, if somebody ever asks you, well, what is Hebrews all about, uh, that you can answer, man, the Hebrews. That preacher, uh, that author, he is just going after that Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than everything, and everything depends on what we do with Jesus. Because again and again, that is the circular argument that the preacher keeps going after. And if you had bonus points and wanted to give a secondary theme, it would be like this. It would say, don't lose what you got. Don't lose what you got by turning away from Jesus and going back. Because Jesus is greater than your whatever, don't turn away from him. And uh, we've hit that a little bit, but boy, chapter 10 is where that conversation kicks in hard, kicks in big for the preacher of Hebrews. So here's where we're stopping. We're stopping smack dab in the middle of an intense conversation on the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. And, you know, it's chapter 7 through chapter 10. It's all about, here's why. Here's why the new covenant is so much better. It is so much a system that you want to be all in. You don't want to go back to the old covenant. It is simply better. It is superior in every way. And if you've ever struggled struggled or if you know someone who has struggled with trying to go into the old covenant and picking and choosing what rules or what laws or what regulations or what festivals or ceremonies to honor and which ones to ignore, uh, then, man, this teaching is so incredibly important for you. If you've ever saw someone just getting into that mess uh, where they're trying to live with like one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new covenant you want to get this down so you can speak into their life and talk to them about as a Jesus follower why we are fully in the new covenant. And if you've ever saw the church get involved in this mess, and man, it just gets ugly real quick. When we try to live partially in the old covenant, the new covenant, where we try to force old covenant things on new covenant people, and you just saw, man, it's got ugly. It has harmed uh, the reputation of the church. It has stained the bride of Christ then, man, you just want to dig in chapter 7 through chapter 10. Throughout the New Testament, the new covenant is talked about, but nowhere is it talked about again and again, four chapters deep, four chapters intensively about why it is better than the old covenant, why we are to be people fully in the new covenant, why we're not going back, why we're not trying to live with one foot in the old and one foot in the new. And the preacher doesn't hold back, does he? I mean, he does not say what they want to hear. He doesn't say, hey, sure, you can pick and choose. You can pick and choose stuff from the old covenant uh, that you want to follow and what you don't want to follow. He doesn't say, hey, you can live with a little bit in the old and a little bit in the new. He doesn't say, hey, I know it's where your comfort zone is. I know it's what you've always been taught. Sure, go back to the old covenant as you deem necessary. Go back to the temple. Go back to the old sacrificial system. Go back to the old way of relating to God. He never goes there. He tells them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And he doesn't mince words. There are faults in the old covenant. It was far from perfect and a new covenant was needed, a better covenant, a better way to be made right with God and a better way to have a relationship with God. So the very last verse of chapter eight, this is how the preacher, the author sums it up. If he hasn't been crystal clear yet, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete It is now out of date and will soon disappear. If you're reading from the NIV, it reads like this. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And I'm like, how much clearer than that can you get, really? And so my mind goes, curiosity-wise, if this is so incredibly clear, how would a paraphrase? How would you even paraphrase this passage? So looking at the message It's paraphrased like this, by coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf, and there it stays, gathering dust. And if you're a person who just by nature doesn't like change, the language the author uses, the preacher uses, it it just like pushes your buttons. You're like, well, come on, was the old really all that bad? Couldn't we just sort of like just sort of play nice with the old? Couldn't we live with one foot in the old? Couldn't we, you know, we'll still continue to do our spiritual gymnastics to explain away the parts of the old that we're uncomfortable with. But couldn't we bring some of the old into the new? Couldn't we be people of both the old covenant and the new covenant? And the preacher, the author is like, no, you can't. If you're a Jesus follower, you are meant to be all in in the new covenant, fully living in the new. And the problem becomes when we try to pick and choose or live with one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new covenant, it gets messy. And I mean, for 2,000 years, it has got messy. Uh, you go back to Acts and the early church and you look at some of their problems, it's dealing with the old covenant and the new covenant. What part of the old do we need to embrace as we're trying to live in the new? As you read some of the letters to the early churches that Paul planted, you'll see again and again, so many of those problems go back to what? People are trying to figure out what's required from the old covenant while we live in the new. People are trying to live with a foot in both. And it's a problem that's never disappeared. It's just changed and morphed throughout time. If you're familiar with your church history, and you just go back to the 1950s, uh, one of the ways that this was running rampant, this problem, came through legalism. Trying to pick things from the old covenant and force it on people from the new covenant. And some of you, maybe you're familiar with the language. Maybe you've heard it phrased. Here's just an example for you. Somebody said, you know what? You can't get a tattoo. God doesn't want you to get a tattoo. That would be a sin. And where does that come from? Is that coming from the words of Jesus? Is that coming from the new covenant? Where are they pulling from from that? Fully from the old covenant. It it reads like this, do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. And people would pick and choose, you know, from the old covenant, things like this, they say, well, you can't do this. If you have a tattoo, man, that's a sin. This is what you shouldn't do. And then people that have a little bit of, of a Pharisee tendency, they pick things from the old covenant and use them as a measuring stick to say, hey, I'm better than you. I'm To think internally, I'm holier than you because I don't have a tattoo, and you do. And it gets messy. And it gets ugly so incredibly quick. And it doesn't draw anyone to Jesus. It just pushes people away from Jesus. If you talk to my girls and about this issue of tattoos, they'll tell you, well, my dad didn't want me to get a tattoo. And that's right. I would say, you know, come on. You know what? I know what I was like when I was 16. I was not making fully wise choices. I couldn't think about the impact on my life 20, 30, 40 years from now. So you want to get a tattoo, you wait till you're out of my home. And they've taken me up on that offer, right? But never once, never once did I make it about their relationship with God. Never once did I try to force the old covenant on someone who is fully living in the new covenant. Now, just to make this a little bit more clear, how messy this gets, how ugly this gets, why it harms the reputation of the bride of Christ. People like me, standing in this position on a stage like this, would say, "You can't get a ca- tattoo." God says it's a sin, and they would look down on you or holier than you, or they would Jews all of those kind of requirements. Where parents were trying to force this on their children using old covenant stuff in a new covenant world and why is that so ugly and why is that so messy because we 're picking and choosing where simply we ignored the verse that was right in front verse twenty seven do not trim off the hair on your temples or trim your beards hypocrite anyone right Because all the people like me who were preaching verse 28 were simply not abiding by verse 27. And hypocrisy was rampant and it was real and it got ugly and it got messy. All because we were trying to bring old covenant stuff into the new covenant. And man, people can smell hypocrisy a mile away. And it pushes them away from Jesus as opposed to drawing them. To Jesus. So let's pick up where we left off last week, and if you've missed it, that's a great one to go back and listen to in the podcast because we really begin to explain more and more why we're people of the New Covenant and not in the Old Covenant. But for the original audience, all that they had known, all they had, they had taught, been taught, all that they had seen, modeled generation after generation after generation after generation, was the Old Covenant. And the preacher, the author, is saying, you know, that's part of your past. It's not part of your present. It's not part of your future. You need to leave all of that behind because there's a new way. There's a better way. Jesus' covenant is greater than the old covenant. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 8. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor. Beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Once again, the preacher isn't telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. He's saying, you know what? You don't want to go back to the temple. That was never the true place of worship. It was just a shadow, just a copy of what it really was like to worship in heaven. It's not an exact representation. And he goes on and he says, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that's only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. In other words, a system that you want to go back to, that you want to try and draw into the new covenant. It's not the real deal. It wasn't meant to be long-term. That's why there's this new the better. You don't want to go back. He goes on, but now, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Superior, better, new covenant. You could quickly list some of the reasons why it's so much better, why it's superior. It's a once and done covenant. It requires no further sacrifices. Jesus did it once, for all of eternity. It lasts forever. It provides an opportunity to have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Then he uses one of those arguments. We think of it as an if-then. We all do those kind of things. If this, then this. He says, if this, then this, there this. If the first covenant had been faultless, if it really had been perfect, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it, if then. Why would you go and try to live in both the old covenant and the new covenant when this one is so much better, it's so much superior, when this is from God, Jesus paid it all. He fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Covenant. So it is now part of your past. It is not part of your present or part of your future. Don't go back. So often this continues to haunt us fully. New Covenant people, followers of Jesus, the Old Covenant continues to come back. And it gets ugly and it gets messy. I think it was this past fall, Pastor Don and myself attended a seminar from our denominational conference, and it was all on Christian nationalism. And this is the thing, whatever country you're from, if you love your country, man, talk about your country, talk about why you think it is the best But that Christian nationalism, it doesn't line up with the new covenant. If you want to try to be a proponent of Christian nationalism, where do you have to pull from? Fully from the old covenant. And when we're trying to do things like that, man, it gets messy. It gets ugly. It's a stain on the bride of Christ, and it pushes people away from Jesus as opposed to drawing people to Jesus. Once in a while, some of my friends, favorite sermons to listen to because I am just weird are pastors who try to preach why you should vote for a certain candidate or vote for a certain political party. And when I'm listening to those messages, I have two hopes, right? Two simple hopes because this is what I know. It doesn't matter what your political party. If your political party is associated with the color blue, these are going to be your primary talking points and these are going to be the scriptures you're going to use. If your political party is primarily red, these are going to be your talking points and these are going to be the scriptures that you're going to use. And I have two hopes, two very simple hopes when I listen to these kind of messages. My first hope is this. Would the pastor, would he just take maybe five minutes of his time to talk about why his party or why his candidate doesn't fully line up with the new covenant? my wish never comes true, right? My second wish is this. Would they please just be real with Scripture? Would Would they not twist Scripture to try to say something it doesn't say? Would they try to not take old covenant principles and force them on new covenant people? That wish comes true once in a while, but not always. Remember the one time I was listening to the sermon. And, you know, spot on, point 0.1, point 0.2, point 0.3. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly where I thought you would go. And then up on the screen pops point 0.4, and it's capitalism. And now, like, all of a sudden, I'm, like, I'm, I'm all in. I'm like, I'm paying attention because I know this is going to go sideways really fast, right? And, and I don't know what you think about capitalism. You actually might love it. You might hate it. I don't care. I really don't care about your political party. I don't care about your preferred economic system. I only get concerned when you start to see the world and others, primarily through your political system or through your economic system before you see the world through a Jesus filter, a Jesus lens. When you get things out of order. That's when I get all up and annoy so many people. That's when I try to be an equal opportunity offender, Right? But sure starts talking about capitalism. I can tell you from a very personal perspective. If you want to well, Doug, what do you think about? Not what does scripture think. What do you think about capitalism? I have benefited greatly from capitalism. I grew up in a family business. I've been blessed. At Penn State, one economic class shy of having a minor in economics. I love economics. I love studying things. I could tell you so many positive things about capitalism. But I would never try to tell you that it lines up with the new covenant or that the new covenant of Jesus purports, supports capitalism. Because come on, if we were being honest with one another, the parts of the New Testament, the parts of the new covenant that can make us incredibly uncomfortable. Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler where he says, go and sell it all. When we look at the model of the early church when they were selling all their possessions to help one another, those kind of things make me uncomfortable and I'm pretty sure they make some of you uncomfortable as well. But I mean, this preacher of of this sermon and this point, he was all in. Where did he have to pull from to try to support his reason of capitalism and why you should vote for a certain party or a certain person? He had to twist old covenant scripture to try to make it fit what he had to say. And man, does it get ugly and does it get messy when we try to take old covenant principles and force them on new covenant people. It's happened for 2,000 years and we continue to lose our way and we mess this up. And it pushes people away from Jesus as opposed to drawing them to Jesus. And come on, I am not telling some of you what you want to hear. I'm telling you what you need to hear. You don't gotta drive very far. You will find people standing on a stage in my position. They'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. Sacrificing but Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for. You and I, Jesus followers, called to fully live in the new covenant, be people of the new covenant. And we lose our way and we stumble. But he continues to take us back again and again and again. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, real faith never disappoints because it is in God, grounded on his character, promises, covenant, and oath. Politicians will always disappoint. Political parties will always disappoint. We got 2,000 years of church history to say that that is true. So as we prepare... To end our time through the sacrament of communion. Can we just agree to continue to represent Jesus well to a world that is hurting and that is broken? Can we just continue to be people that want to live fully in the new covenant? To not get messed up along the way and try to bring old covenant stuff in and force it on new covenant people? to not do some of those things that are just causing the bride of Christ, the church, to be stained, that are pushing people away from Jesus as opposed to drawing people to Jesus. One of the beauties of the New Testament church, one of the things that drew people in again and again, was the way that they loved one another and the way that they loved the world around them. I mean, it was the kind of a place where you could go and fierce enemies, Jews and Gentiles, would gather together in the name of Jesus. It's the kind of place where people who disagreed with one another on so many other aspects of life, were drawn together in unity around the name of Jesus. That's what drew people to the church. That's what drew people to the bride of Christ. So as we prepare to partake of communion together, Let's finish reading chapter eight. But when God found fault with the people, he said, and then it's loosely quoting Jeremiah 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. A few words of instructions. Communion is for all who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And if you just want to hold on to that element, we will partake together. I'll give you some clues along that way. It's a great time to give remembrance, to give thanks for the new covenant that Jesus established, for the ultimate price that he paid for the penalty for our sins, to give us life in the fullest for the here and now and for all of eternity as he defeated death three days later. I want to give you just a little bit of time in prayer, and then we'll come back and read a little bit more scripture. There's some things that, you need to make right with God. There's some sins that you need to confess. Before we partake together, would you just take some time to make some things right with God? Invite the Holy Spirit in to point out anything that needs to change in your life. Let's pray. Father, we remember and we give thanks for the ultimate gift, that once-and-done sacrifice for Jesus establishing a new covenant so that we can be in a right relationship with you and that we can have a relationship with the creator of the universe our heavenly father all because of what Jesus did the sacrifice that he paid once and done on the cross and he didn't stop there three days later defeating death so we can have a hope and a promise of security in you to be with you in the here and now and for all of eternity. So Holy Spirit, if there's some things in our life that you're calling us out on, there's some things that need to change, there's some things that we need to address and make right. May we be people of integrity who won't simply say what people want to hear, but what they need to hear. May we continue to proclaim your truth, your love, and your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Luke, the words of Jesus. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The blood of Christ shed for you, for me, for the forgiveness of sins. Let us partake together. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at CRBIC.org. That's CRBIC.org.